You can find the scripture reading in your bulletin on page four. Today's passage is Psalm 1. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. The word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to see all of you. My name's Eric. Happy New Year to all of you. Um, A special welcome to some of the youngest members of our church family. I just noticed many of the little ones are making their appearance today at the New Year, so it's great to see the little babies amongst us as well this morning. Since it is New Year's Day... And Adam already brought this up, if you were here at the very beginning of the service, it's that time of year uh, to talk about New Year's resolutions. And maybe there are two types of people here. Some of you are like, yeah, I'm all about that. Now bring it on, I've got mine already set, I've already started today. But some of you, I'm sure, are maybe a little bit anti-New Year's resolution uh, for various reasons, maybe because... You failed to keep yours too many times, but we'll keep it positive today. We won't, we won't start on a downer. We won't bring that up uh, to start 2023. Uh, there's, there's truth to be a little bit skeptical. Uh, there's truth behind uh, maybe that perspective because I don't know how they do these studies, but studies estimate that there is about a 12% success rate to New Year's resolutions. But we're going to start positive because... This morning, despite all these mixed feelings, despite where you might feel about doing New Year's resolutions or your not-so-encouraging track record, uh, to begin the new year, I'm going to ask all of us as a church family to consider a resolution together based on Psalm 1, this passage that we just heard read together. Or if you don't like the word resolution, that's okay, we could use a word, some of you know I like this word a lot, the word rhythm. I'm going to give you the practical application of this message up front. I'm asking each of us to consider, and we can put it on the slide right now and unveil it, our New Year's resolution as a church would be this, establishing or reinvigorating a rhythm of daily meditation on Scripture. Psalm 1 offers us some very powerful, vivid arguments for every Christian having a daily practice of meditation on Scripture. Psalm 1 offers us a perspective that clearly shows us this is a basic, this is a foundational commitment 
for every Christian. This morning, you may be here and you maybe are not a Christian. You don't consider yourself there yet. Uh, This psalm has uh, something really important for you to consider as it gets to the heart of the Christian way of life. Beyond just do good things, stay away from bad things, kind of the surface moral behavior. It gets right down into the very heart, into the core and essence of the Christian way of life from the inside out. So it's an invitation for you to consider as well as you are considering the Christian way of life. I'd like to show us all arguments from this psalm this morning, how this psalm presents to us the argument to make this our daily practice. And we'll come back at the end to the practical application. There are four steps in the argument here. So I'm going to give them all to you. They're not in the bulletin. One, the psalm says this is the choice we have, the choice we have. Second, the choice we don't have. Thirdly, making the right choice. And fourthly, sticking to the right choice. So those are the four points. They'll be up on the slides as we go along. First, the choice we have. Psalm 1 describes for us the choice we all have in life. If we just start at the end at verse 6, we see that the psalm tells us this is what, this is what it's all about here in this text. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. Psalm 1 is saying there are two ways. There are two roads. There are two paths that lead us to very different destinations. And these are the two ways that we get to choose from in this life. This is the choice we have. Way number one or way number two. This is a common biblical expression or figure of speech throughout the Bible. It's known as the two ways figure of speech or the two ways approach. It's common in the Proverbs. It's common in wisdom literature. Often in the Proverbs, it'll say something like, you can live in the way of wisdom or you can live in the way of folly. The book of Deuteronomy says, here are two choices for you at the end of the book of Deuteronomy. You can choose life or death, blessing or curse. Jesus in his teachings said there are two, two ways, there are two roads. One leads to a wide gate, one leads to a narrow gate. It's all throughout scripture, the two ways. And we might want to say, just two choices? <laughs> That's all we have? I can go on Amazon and there are 57 choices for a can opener. I'm used to a lot more choices than that. Isn't that oversimplifying things? What's going on here is this. Because life is is very complex. Each each of you is very different. Your experiences, your stories, where you come uh, from this morning is very different. And because we have so many choices, especially now in our modern world, which we can spend like an hour on Amazon reading reviews about can openers before we buy one. Yes, I did buy it. I did do this recently. We need things to be simplified. Sometimes we need things to be put in an either-or fashion, a little bit black and white, very stark for us, so that we are able to examine our lives and get clarity. That's what the two ways passages do for us. It's what Psalm 1 does. Forcing us to ask, which way am I living? Which road am I on? Which path is mine? 
Way one or way two? Psalm one, of course, this is, doesn't take a seminary degree to make this observation. It's the first psalm in the book of Psalms. Out of 150 psalms, and the psalms, they're not randomly organized. They're very purposefully and intentionally put together. Psalm 1 is the introduction to the entire book of psalms. It's like a read me first, read me first before you go on into the rest of the book of psalms. And the idea is that before you get in, before you can move on into the psalms, which is the Bible's handbook on prayer, the Bible's description and handbook on the spiritual life, life with God. Before you get into that, before you get into the life of prayer, before you get into a spiritual life, you have to get past Psalm 1 first. It's the gateway. And before you can get into a life of prayer, to this living and authentic relationship with God that is shown to us in the Psalms, first, you have to choose the way of meditation, on God's word, day and night. That's what Psalm 1 is saying. Let me think about that and ask, is meditation that important? That it is the gateway to prayer, that it is the gateway to a living relationship with God. And good questions can come to mind, like, am I meditating? What does that mean to meditate? And let's spend a little bit of time talking about that. Meditation is the spiritual practice that brings prayer and Bible reading or Bible study together. Meditation is the spiritual practice that brings Bible reading and prayer to life. It makes them both personal and relational as opposed to merely intellectual or ritualistic. Meditation on Scripture is considered a core spiritual discipline really by all branches of the Christian faith throughout history. There's agreement here. In particular, it was a favorite topic of the Puritan pastors, our old friends, the Puritan pastors. And I thought about this and I said, why did they think about meditation and write about it so much? Probably because they were dealing with a lot of people trying to help them have a vibrant spiritual life People who knew a lot about the Bible, it was all in the culture, it was what they were seeped in, and who tried prayer a lot, but for many of them, it fell flat, it felt cold, and maybe that describes some of you. Here's a few things that they said. I have a few quotes from the Puritans. Edmund Calamy, one of the authors of the Westminster Confession, said, the duty of daily divine meditation is the life and the soul of all Christianity. That's a big statement. And then he said, you are carcasses of Christians if you are not acquainted with it. So sometimes our Puritan friends were pretty hardcore. But that's a very vivid image as well. It is impossible to live without a soul as it is to be a good Christian without divine meditation. And then Thomas Watson, a really well-known Puritan pastor said this, uh, this is in the reflection quotes in the bulletin, he said, meditation without reading is erroneous. He said, meditation is not an emptying of our minds as as in distinction to maybe an Eastern form of meditation. He said, you're meditating on something, you're meditating on truth, so you have to have reading or else it will be erroneous. Reading without meditation is barren. You can just read and study, but there's a barrenness to that. 
The reason we come away so cold from reading the word is because we do not warm ourselves at the fire of meditation. And then he said, meditation and prayer are like two turtle doves. If you separate one, the other dies. So what is meditation? Meditation is the art and the practice of listening. Really listening. Taking in the truth of Scripture, chewing on it, digesting it, letting it soak into all the aspects of who you are. Your thinking, your emotions and feelings, and your will, your volition. It's something very different if I describe it that way, right, than studying or reading, which is mainly cognitive. It's something different than praying, which is mainly us articulating our thoughts and desires and words to God. It is sitting in a listening posture under the word and letting it soak in to what we're thinking, what we're feeling, and how we might choose to do what we do. One pastor said it's like the bridge between reading the scriptures and prayer. One example of a meditation from the Bible itself is Psalm 103. Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. So who's being talked to? Who's being addressed in Psalm 103? It's the person's own soul, the psalmist's own soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Remember what he does. He forgives all our sins. He heals all our diseases. He redeems our lives from the pit. It's taking the truth and bringing it into the recesses and the depths of our being. It takes time. It's slow. It's chewing. It's digesting. That's meditation. And Psalm 1 says, this is the choice we have. Enter into a living, genuine relationship with God through meditation, through really listening to Him. And with this living relationship with God at the very core of your life, you'll be robust, you'll be stable, you'll be fruitful, prospering, and happy. And that's way number one. Way number two is a way that leads to ruin, perishing or vanishing, a life that is blown away, that does not stand up before God. We might want to respond to this. Okay, those are the two ways. Isn't there maybe a third way? I want to live in the way of happiness and stability and fruitfulness and prospering and all that, but I'm not quite sure that I can say that I meditate on the instruction of the Lord day and night. I'm not sure I can say that. I read it, but do I delight in it the way that this says? But the other way, the wicked, the sinners, the mockers, that sounds like really terrible bad people. I don't think that's my way either. I'm not a saint. I'm not maybe day and night delighting in the Word of God. But I'm not as bad as all this either. I'm kind of on this in-between path. Isn't there a path at least number three? Psalm 1 is telling us. This is the choice we don't have. There are only two. That sounds very black and white and not allowing for the fact that we all do get off track. We all lose our way and need to return back time and time again through repentance and faith. And that's all true. But if we don't allow ourselves to be a bit uncomfortable 
with these two ways, the either or, and deal with this black and white nature of the psalm, we'll miss what it's saying to us. We'll be avoiding its impact that it should have on our lives. Look at verse 1 again. This is describing way number 2. How happy is the one who does not walk in the way of the wicked, stand in the pathway of sinners, sit in the company of mockers. I want you to notice three things about this verse. Number one, this description here, if you look at this, it has to do with words. It has to do with communication. Who or what we listen to. Do we walk or live by the advice, some translations say the counsel, of the wicked? Or do we sit in the company of mockers? Mockers or scoffers are people who not only live the way they live, but verbalize and vocalize and mock the opposition, who they believe is the opposition, those who live according to way number one. They mock the good and the right and the true things. So this is all about listening, listening for advice on how to live, listening to a a whole company, a whole group, a whole community of people who scorn what is good and right. So it has to do with words and what we listen to. Secondly, this description is increasingly passive. Walking, standing, and finally sitting. Increasingly passive. Thirdly, this description is progressively more serious spiritually. The wicked in the Bible are those who do wrong. Sinners are those who make a lifestyle of it. And mockers or scoffers not only do evil, but mock those who do good. So taking into all that into account, I think we can make a few observations about this verse. One, our way of life is a product or a result of whose words we meditate on. Our way of life is a product or a result of whose words we meditate on. The choice here in Psalm 1 is not to be a person who meditates or to be a person who says, that's not my thing, I don't meditate. That's not the choice. The choice is what or whose words will we meditate on? Psalm 1 puts it this way. We either meditate on the words and the advice and the counsel and the mocking of those who chart a path of life apart from God or away from God or we meditate on the Word of God and let His Word be the lamp for our feet and the light to our path. Second observation. Meditation can be active and intentional or it can be very passive. What we chew on, the things that we let soak into our souls, into our thoughts and our feelings and our will. We can be aware and active in our meditation Or we can be very unaware and very passive. The longer we are passive, this psalm is showing us, the harder it is for us to discern whose voices, whose voices are really charting the path that I'm walking on in my way of life. And in our technological age, we can just say this. There is a lot of passive meditation that we all do. It's just with this little thumb right here. Scroll, 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 scroll. Click, click, click. 
We can scroll for hours. We can binge for hours. Psalm 1 says, that counts as passive meditation. And so we should ask, what occupies our thoughts, what we chew on, let's soak in our soul, what do we turn over in our minds and hearts? What do we delight in if we don't meditate on the word of the Lord day and night? What do we wake up thinking about, delighting in? What do we go to bed dreaming about? Do you know? Are you aware of what it is that occupies your thoughts, that gets into your mind, emotions, and choices? And verse 2 reminds us that most of what gets in at that level, for many of us, is not as the result of careful reflection, just individually on our own but social influence and pressure and what groups we want to be a part of, what groups we want others to think we're a part of and, or what other groups we don't want to be a part of and what groups we don't want other people to think we are a part of. I can't really expand on this too much, but in large part, the Western Enlightenment period was all about the experiment, the project, of thinking, can I as an individual, by my own private meditation, chart my own way of life without any influences from anywhere around us? And really a lot of intellectual and philosophical development from then on has said, no, it's not possible. Why? Because we are social creatures. We are socially influenced. That's part of how we are designed and the Bible recognizes that. And those are the voices that get in. Those are the voices that chart our path. Do we know what those voices are? Do we know what words form the meditations of our hearts? The choice we don't have, Psalm 1 says, is the choice not to meditate. We're all filled with words, counsel, advice, and instruction. The choice is whose? The choice we have is whose? And to ask, where do they lead? Psalm 1 helps us make the right choice according to Scripture. Psalm 1, this psalm gives us a very vivid and powerful argument to choose way number one over way number two. It does this by putting two images side by side in verses three and four and says, okay, which one do you want to choose? Which one do you want to be your life. Picture one is a life like a tree planted by a stream that bears fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. Picture number two is chaff that is blown away by the wind. Let's think about these two pictures. Uh, picture number one, the tree. And we can show, I think I have a picture of a tree. This is the Santa Ana River, by the way. It took me a long time to find a California picture like that. And there are trees growing because there's water, right? Planted by streams, Psalm 1 says. Streams are the source of life and nourishment. So these trees are planted. They're not blown away by worries or fears. But this is a stable and rooted life. It says this tree bears its fruit in season. It's fruitful, it's productive, it's purposeful in life. 
says its leaf does not wither. This tree can withstand changes in seasons, challenging times. It is a resilient life, a stable life, a purposeful life, a resilient life. That's option one, a tree. Option two is chaff. Chaff is that husk around a wheat kernel or other, other types of grains and kernels. Farmers had to separate the wheat from the chaff because the chaff is useless. Nobody wants chaff. You can't make anything of it. The wheat kernel is what is useful and edible. The kind of chaff I'm most familiar with is coffee chaff. Even when you have uh, already roasted beans of coffee, sometimes there's still that light stuff in there, right? The chaff. And it's really annoying because even if you're just scooping the coffee from the container into the filter or whatever you're using, somehow the chaff is just all over the counter all the time. It's like, how did this happen? I was just scooping. It's because it's lighter than air. It it's barely has any weight of its own. It just scatters about. That's the image here. A life of no substance. Weightless. Easily tossed around by the wind. I know this sounds very harsh to describe the way of life number two like this. But in the context of the Bible, this is core and fundamental wisdom. If God is the Lord who made you, if God is the Lord who made everything, according to his wisdom, according to his purpose, to be filled with his words, to be filled with his advice, to be filled with his reasoning, is the only logical and reasonable choice. To be filled with words and advice and reasoning, however sophisticated or accepted they are, that leaves God out, that pushes God to the side or makes Him optional is to disconnect your life from the one thing that is weighty, from the one thing that is substantial, from the one thing that gives our choices, our thoughts, our feelings, some kind of anchor. To not have that is to lose something real, to lose something substantial, to anchor your life, your decisions, your identity, your meaning, your purpose, and your destiny too. If there is no God, if, then we say, well, there's no one to tell me what to do. But there's also no one, period. There's nothing substantial. There's nothing real to anchor our lives to and our choices to. It's from dust we came and to dust we return, and that's it. That's the picture. That's the picture of chaff. The image of the tree and the stream of water is very Eden-like. Trees by streams. This is the picture given to us in Genesis 2. That's the garden life as it was meant to be. Who knows which way is the best for us? Who knows which way is the best for you? To flourish. To be resilient to be productive. Psalm 1 and the rest of the Bible says it is God. So day and night, chew on His Word. Soak in His Word. Think on His Word. Let it get in and permeate into every single part of your thinking, your feeling, and your choosing. That is the right choice. I can't move to my final practical thought without one very important part of making this choice. And that is this. It's how. 
even with this very strong argument. This is a strong argument in Psalm 1 in the context of Scripture. It's a vivid argument, the tree or the chaff. Based on just Psalm 1 itself, it's obvious which is the right choice. But even with this strong argument here in this psalm, none of us want to make this choice. To meditate on the law's instruction, the Lord's instruction or the law. To delight in it is saying this, okay, God, show me what is wrong in my life and tell me what to do. I love that. When you show me the way that my life is off course and I am wrong, and when you tell me what to do, especially when I don't want to do it, oh, what a delight that is. Is that anybody's response? No. We don't want anybody telling us what to do. We want to go our own way. Who says this? It's not the only place. In Psalm 119, it says, I delight in your law. I delight in your commands, which I love. I love your commands more than gold. Laws and commands? Who says that? I love it more than money. Give me commands. That is my New Year's resolution. More commands in my life. So the more that we meditate on God's law, the more we soak it in and take it in, the more it convicts us. Pastor Tim Keller makes the point that Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, his, his famous sermon was essentially a meditation on the law, right? He said, you heard it was written in the law. Do not murder. And everyone's like, I haven't murdered. Good. Let's meditate on that. And Jesus says, when you are angry with your brother, when you call him a fool, when you insult another person, you are guilty of murdering them in your heart. Oh, <laughs> okay, maybe let's not meditate on that. <laughs> you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. Okay, I have it, that's good. Let's meditate on that for a moment. If you even look at another person with a lustful intent, you are guilty of adultery. That is a meditation on the law. Jesus' meditation in the Sermon on the Mount is so beautiful, it's so compelling, but it's so challenging and it's so convicting. We want to run to it and say, oh, that the world live like this, but we want to run away from it because we say, oh, how I don't live like that myself. Let's not meditate on this for too long. How can we run to a meditation on the law when it feels like it will condemn us? Well, here's the answer. From the earliest days of study on Psalm 1 in the earliest days of the church and Christian meditation on Psalm 1, scholars have noticed something even preceding the early church. You see it in verse 1. It says, how happy is the one, or we could translate it, the one man, singular, the one person who stands against the plural, the wicked, the sinners, the scoffers. His delight, this one person's delight who stands against the whole tide is in the Lord's instruction and on it he meditates day and night. He's a tree. He's fruitful. He's unmoved. He's productive. Friends, this is speaking ultimately of Jesus. He is the one who meditated on the law day and night. His full delight was in it. He was the one who got into the gateway of the Psalms. How do we know that? Through Psalm 1, he got in. How do we know? 
He quoted the Psalms more than any other book of the Bible. Throughout all of his ministry, even as he was dying and suffering on the cross, his prayers and his meditations were from Psalm 22. In Psalm 31, Psalm 22 says, You lay me in the dust of death. Psalm 31 says, My bones waste away. My strength has failed. Jesus was meditating on these psalms while he was on the cross. He was becoming chaff, dust, wasting away. Strength failing. Jesus, the tree, became chaff. Why? It is for us the ones who cannot stand before the judgment of God or enter into the assembly of the righteous, that we might enter in and stand because of His righteousness. By faith in Him and union with Him, we can get in. We can get in through the gateway into a living relationship with God because of the righteousness of Christ that is ours through faith. And this changes everything, friends, because the law, because of what Jesus has done for us, doesn't condemn us. We don't have to run from it. It doesn't shame us. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The law drives us to Jesus. It challenges us. It convicts us. It moves us to Jesus. And then the one who fulfilled it for us, the one who gave us his righteousness, we ask, how do we love him? How do we thank him? How do we follow him? It's the law. The law shows us, and it is our delight to do it because of everything that he has done for us. And so the law moves us to run to Jesus. We don't have to run away. It shows us how we we become like him. Friends, that's something we can meditate on day and night. If every time we run to the law, we are running to Jesus. And we are becoming more like him. And he is writing his law in our hearts. Psalm 1 tells us, make that choice. Final thought, practical, back to where we started. I'd like to ask each of you to consider establishing or reinvigorating a daily rhythm of meditation on scripture in light of what we just looked at. To be very practical for me personally, the practice of daily meditation on scripture has only stuck for me as a daily rhythm because of a tool that you already heard about. I talk about it every so often. It used to be called CBR, Community Bible Reading. Now it's called SJT, Seeing Jesus Together. Uh, I forgot my journal, but Adam held his up. It's a journal. There's also an app, and it's very simple. Sticking with the right choice, you need three things. You need a plan, you need a method for meditation, and you need others. You need a community. A plan is simply, what do I read in the law of God? It's impossible to be consistent without a plan. There's many great Bible reading plans. The important thing is to have a plan or inevitably we'll be selective about what we meditate on the word, the parts we just like. We need a plan. We need a method for meditation. There isn't just one, but the one that we use here at Trinity is a good one. ACTS, I'm not going to go into detail on this, but there is a method which is contained within the journal, within the Bible reading plan, where we practice adoring God from what we see in His Word, confessing our sins, thanking God for what He has given us in Christ, and asking from 
those meditations, how we can become more like Jesus. You need good questions to think, to chew on, to to digest. So you might have your own questions. You need to come up with the ones that work for you, that the Word of God might get in to every part of your being. And lastly, you need a community. This is a game changer for me. When others are meditating on the same passage of Scripture as me, and they're helping me meditate, and I can help them meditate, it makes it so much more rich and lively. There's a synergy there. So one of my dreams and vision for our church is that this is what we do. It's it's our thing. We have a daily, shared, communal way of meditating on Scripture together. So it doesn't have to be SJT, but I invite you, if you haven't tried it, try it. Grab a journal. All the instructions are there. But if you don't use that with us, you still need a plan. You need a method. And you need other people doing it alongside you. The goal is that we might see Jesus together and be like trees planted by streams of water, fruitful and faithful in all seasons. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text. It it challenges us. It puts it very starkly. We remember that you do that. You challenge us because you love us. You want us to be like these, these trees. You want our lives to be stable, rooted, anchored. You want our lives to be fruitful, producing the fruit of the Spirit. You want our lives to be resilient. Thank you for all that you have shown us in your word and given to us in your word. And I pray for us this new year as a church that you would help us, each one of us, whether it be our tool or other tools that you put into our lives to make the choice that Psalm 1 has for us, Lord, uh, that we would run to your word, that we would make it our meditation, that we'd be aware of the things in our lives that are the meditations that are already there, and that louder than any other voice and more dear and more delightful to us than any other thing that we could hear would be your word to us in your son Jesus. Help us, help us do this uh, for the right reasons that we might know you, glorify you, and walk in the way that you have for us. In Christ's name, amen.